All right, as you stand and grab your Bibles, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. Pastor Bruce kicks off this series with the genealogy of Christ. Again, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. You can find it on page 551 in your pew Bible. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob, Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Judah begot Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Amminadab, Amminadab begot Nashon, and Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab, Boaz begot Obed by Ruth, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. David the king begot Solomon, by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Solomon begot Rehoboam. Rehoboam begot Abijah. And Abijah begot Asa. Asa begot Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat begot Joram. And Joram begot Uzziah. Uzziah begot Jotham. Jotham begot Ahaz. And Ahaz begot Hezekiah. Hezekiah begot Manasseh. Manasseh begot Ammon. And Ammon begot Josiah. Josiah begot Jeconiah and his brothers about the time they were carried away to Babylon. And after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconiah begot Shealtiel, and Shealtiel begot Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel begot Abiud, Abiud begot Eliakim, and Eliakim begot Azor. Azor begot Zadok, Zadok begot Achim, and Achim begot Eliud. Eliud begot Eleazar, Eleazar begot Mathan, and Mathan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David are fourteen generations. From David until the captivity in Babylon are fourteen generations, and from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ are fourteen generations. Let's pray. God, we just ask this morning that as you bring your word to us, Lord, that uh, the power God, of your genealogy, and Lord, those that you've used to bring about your plan, God, would just impact our hearts, and may we be thankful, God, that now we can be called part of your family. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Kirk, for leading us in that scripture reading of names. did a pretty good job with that, didn't he? In fact, it reminds me of the little boy who came home from Sunday school, all excited about his lesson he learned that day. And When his mother asked him what he had learned, the little boy replied, I learned all the forgots of the Bible. His mother asked, what are you, what, what are you talking about? The little boy said, you know, Abraham forgot Isaac, Isaac forgot Jacob, and Jacob forgot Judah. That's funny. You might call this the forgotten chapter of the Christmas story, and for good reason. It's a genealogy. It's a list of names, and most of them are hard to pronounce. So I told Kirk when I asked him to read the scripture this morning, just pretend like you know how they're pronounced, and everybody won't think any wiser of it. This is one of those parts of the Bible where you kind of think to yourself, oh, well, I'm just going to skip over this to get to the good stuff. And so even when we read this for ourselves, we tend to gloss over this list of names, thinking there's not a lot here. 
But what I want us to learn this morning and hopefully show you is that there is really, really, really good stuff here in the genealogy of Jesus. Now before we proceed to that, let me just make mention of the idea of Advent. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the term or the word Advent, especially during the Christmas time. And Advent of Jesus Christ the King, the word Advent simply means coming or arrival. And so that's why we say it's the Advent season, or it's the Advent of Jesus Christ. It's the coming or the arrival of Jesus Christ. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to focus on the Advent of Jesus Christ, the Advent of His first coming here in Matthew chapter 1 and Matthew chapter 2. And so we're going to begin by looking at the ancestry or the genealogy of Jesus Christ the King. The names in this passage make up Jesus' family tree, and it's a long list of names starting with Abraham, moving on to David, and finally it ends with the name of Jesus Christ. And in between are names that we recognize. Well, let's be honest, there are more names in this list that we know very little about, that we perhaps have never heard of, don't recognize. In fact, speaking of names, the manager of a large office noticed a new employee and asked, what's your name? And the worker replied, John. And the manager scowled and said, look, I don't know where you worked before, but I don't call anyone by their first name. It breeds familiarity, and that leads to a breakdown in authority. I refer to all my employees by their last name only. Smith, Jones, Baker, you got it? I'm to refer, be referred to as Mr. Robertson. Now that we've got that straightened out, what's your last name, he asked. The new guy sighed, Darling. My name is John Darling. To which the boss replied, it's nice to meet you, John. <laughs> Matthew begins with a long list of names, and you would think he would begin the exciting news of Jesus' birth with more of a bang. It's like the man who was asked to write the review of a phone book, and his summary was, great cast of characters, but a weak plot. But for the Jewish people who knew their Old Testament, this was not just a boring list of names. Every single one of these names represents a story for them, a story that they would have been familiar with. And so when they come across this genealogy and they begin to read these names or hear these names being read out loud such as we did this morning. These names triggered emotion. These names triggered images and stories that they could go back to that they had been told for generations and generations. So this morning I want us to answer three questions about this list of names, about the genealogy or the ancestry of Jesus, and then conclude by asking us a question. Number one, what relevance does the genealogy of Jesus have today? Genealogies were very important to the Jews in Jesus' day. In fact, to them, a genealogy would have been an absolute essential setting for the story of Jesus' arrival or his birth. The Jews routinely paid close attention to questions of genealogy. For instance, genealogies were crucial in determining the priesthood. Old Testament law specified that priests must come from the tribe of Levi. 
Genealogies were also used to prove tribal memberships, to decide inheritance rights, and to organize census. That's why in Luke chapter 2, in the, Luke's version of the Christmas story, in verse 3 it says, everyone went to his own to register. So Joseph traced his heritage from David and his family. It was from the town of Bethlehem, the city of David. The only way to be sure of your ancestral hometown was to know your genealogy. Now, genealogy is fascinating, as fascinating as they can be. In fact, there's a website, Ancestry.com. How many of you have ever been on that? Trace your genealogy? All right, a few of you. It's, it's you know, interesting as they can be, as important as they might be. Paul reminds us in Titus 3, 9 to be careful about getting too caught up in genealogies. Their main purpose is to establish broad lines of descent without filling in all the details. And so when you read this list of genealogies, what you find is not every name is even listed. You may be thinking, well, wow, Bruce, that's nice. Thanks for that story. But that still doesn't answer the first question. What relevance does this all have for my life today? What importance does the genealogy of Jesus have for us now? Well, let me suggest three answers why the genealogy of Jesus is so relevant and so important even for us here today. Number one. It establishes Jesus as part of the royal family of David. To a skeptical Jewish reader, no question would be more central in his mind. God had said a thousand years earlier that the Messiah must come from the, the line of David. In the time of Christ, Jesus wasn't the only one claiming to be the Messiah. Other men, imposters, claimed to be the Messiah too. So how would the people know who to believe? Well, one answer is to check his genealogy. If he's not from the line of David, forget it. He can't be the Messiah. That's why verse 1 begins the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. David is listed first, right off the bat here. Because Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience. Even though chronologically, Abraham came first in history. Why? Because the crucial issue was not, is Jesus a Jew, a son of Abraham? No, no, rather for his, the Jewish audience that this book is written for, the crucial question is, is Jesus a direct descendant of King David? Is he connected to the throne of Israel? So in order for Jesus to qualify to be the Messiah King, the promised one, he must be a literal, physical descendant of David. Second of all, the second reason it's important, it demonstrates that Jesus had historical roots. Matthew 1 is telling us that Jesus Christ had a family tree. He just didn't drop out of heaven. He didn't just magically appear on the scene. But at the perfect moment in history, Jesus was born in the town of Bethlehem. The Apostle Paul even tells us in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So Jesus had family history. He had a mother. He had a father. He had a history. He's not some fictional character in a children's book. No, he was a real person born into a real 
family. And that's what Matthew 1 is teaching us here. Jesus had roots, he had history, he had a family, he came from somewhere. And then number three, a third reason why this is so important, and perhaps most important, is it chronicles God's grace throughout human history. Jesus was sent by a God of grace to be a king of grace. And the people God chose to be in Jesus' family tree reveals, let me tell you, the wonder of his grace. We don't know about every person in this genealogy, but of the ones we do know about, it's interesting, nearly all of them had notable moral failures on their spiritual resumes. In other words, the best of these men and women, they had flaws. And some were so flawed that it's impossible to see even their good points about them. So how does that show the grace of God? Well, simple. It shows the grace of God because people like this, like who we just read, make up Jesus' family tree, his ancestry, his genealogy, a murderer is on the list. A fornicator is on the list, as well as an adulterer, a liar, a deceiver. And most of these men and women, they were great sinners. And yet they are included in Jesus' family tree, all because of the grace of God. You trace it all through. Which brings us to our second question. Who, then, is included in the genealogy of Jesus? In other words, what types of people are hanging from Jesus' family tree? Well, as we look at this family tree, I see three types of people hanging from the branches. There's the faithful, there's the failures, and then there's the forgotten. So let's take a few minutes and see what we can learn from these three types of people. Number one, God includes the faithful in the genealogy of Jesus. As we glance through this list of names, there are at least ten names here that stand out for their faithfulness. Perhaps you caught it when Kirk read this passage for us. The very first one is, is, is Abraham. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. You see, Isaac then, another person of faith, listed in the hall of faith chapter of Hebrews 11. Even Jacob himself, Hebrews 11 says, was by faith. Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. And then you come to the woman, Ruth. In Ruth 1.16, she declared her commitment to her mother-in-law. And then you have, obviously, King David. Most people know about him. He, he's known as a man uh, who, who sought out, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and that person was David. You have King Solomon here. You have Asa. Uh, 1 Kings 15.11 says, Asa did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. There's Jehoshaphat, there's Josiah, there's even Hezekiah. All these kings are, are men of faith. God always searched for faithful people to do his work. 2 Chronicles 16.9 states, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. So God loves to use faithful people. But if you look close enough at each of these names, you will see that none of these individuals were perfect. And they all had warts to them, flaws, imperfections. In fact, they were greatly flawed. If you go back over each of these ten names, you'll find all kinds of flaws with them. Abraham, 
And he lied about his wife. Not once, but twice. Isaac, well, he did the same. Jacob, well, he's the biggest deceiver that ever was. David, we most know, we know about David, committed adultery, which then led to murder on top of that. King Solomon, wisest man, and yet he slacked off spiritually towards the end of his life. Even Asa bailed out on God at the end of his life. And even Hezekiah became proud and was judged by God. So here's the lesson. Even the, quote, good people, people we think are good in this list, need God's grace. So what if you can't really identify with the faithful here? What if you identify more with those who need an extra dose of God's grace? Well, then take note of the second type of people hanging from Jesus' family tree because God includes the failures. He includes the failures. Matthew makes no effort to spruce up this tree. He's not hiding the bare spots or the twisted twigs. Reminds me of the story about a very prominent family who commissioned a professional biographer to record their family tree, their family history. After some research, he informed the family he had found a potential problem in their genealogy. And it seems there was an uncle named George who, in a drunken stupor, committed murder and was subsequently sent to the electric chair. Well, in an effort to hide this embarrassment to the family, the family asked the biographer if there was anything he could do. The biographer assured the family he could handle it, and this is what he wrote. Uncle George occupied a chair of applied electronics at an important government institution. He was attached to his position by the strongest of ties, and his death came as a real shock. <laughs> now, in all seriousness, there are names here in the genealogy of Jesus that are quite shocking. Jesus' family tree is filled with all kinds of Uncle Georges, but Matthew makes no attempt to hide them. We don't have time to go through all the bad apples in the tree, so let me just pick a few of them out for you. In verse 3, we see the name Judah. Jacob had 12 sons, but for some reason, the line of David, the lineage of David, or I'm sorry, of the Lord, ran through Judah. This was very interesting because Judah wasn't the oldest son like Reuben, nor was he necessarily the favorite son like Joseph or even Benjamin. And yet the Bible tells us that the king of kings would come out of the tribe of Judah. Now with such honor, surely Judah must have been a godly guy, right? Wrong. Very wrong. Judah's first step down the slippery slope of sin happened when he married a Canaanite woman. Their children became spiritually schizophrenic, and the older one is so wicked that the Lord just takes his life. This son was married to a woman named Tamar who is also listed in Jesus' family tree, leaving her a widow and without children. And according to Jewish custom, his brother was to marry Tamar and give her children, but he refused, so the Lord took his life. Judah promised his third son to Tamar, but he procrastinated. And Tamar realized that this wedding was never going to happen. She decides to take things in her own hands. And so the story goes from bad to worse at this point. Tamar hears her father-in-law Judah is going to take a trip, so she comes up with this plan of hers. She disguises herself as a prostitute, waits alongside the road to entice Judah into sleeping with her. Judah, being a lustful man, 
not knowing it was her, offered to pay her a young goat for her services and gave her a deposit of his signet ring, a cord, and a shepherd's staff, which is the ancient equivalent of kind of like a driver's license today. Tamar becomes pregnant with twins. When Judah finds out, he's ready to burn her in the fire because of the disgrace she has caused their family. As she was dragged away to be killed, Tamar calmly identifies Judah as the father of the twins by holding up his personal property. Judah is humiliated. And he admits in Genesis 38, verse 26, she is more righteous than I. Now, let's be honest here. No one looks good in this story. It reeks of deception, prostitution, and lust. So whatever you can say about Judah, it's not very good. And you cannot by any stretch of the imagination make Tamar look good. She's only less bad than her father-in-law. That people like Judah and Tamar are included in Jesus' family tree sends a very strong message about the grace of God. Neither one deserved it. Both are included yet, though. In verse 5, we come to Rahab. Some of you have heard of Rahab. We know her as Rahab the harlot. She was the one who hid the spies in Jericho. Her most famous deed is her trade as a prostitute and telling a lie in order to pr protect the spies. You wouldn't think she would have much of a chance of getting in Jesus' family tree, but there she is. Is there anything good we can say about Rahab? Yes, she was a woman of faith. And because of her faith, she's listed in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Bathsheba, another woman in Jesus' family tree. She's not listed by name, but in verse 6, she's called simply the wife of Uriah. And the story of Bathsheba's adultery with King David is so well known, I don't want to take time to repeat it here. Suffice it to say, adultery was only the beginning. Before the scandal was over, it included lying, it included a royal cover-up, and ultimately murder. Let me tell you, there's dirt all over this episode. But don't miss the point. Bathsheba is included. Amazing. As someone has said, we're reminded again that God's plan of redemption came neither through perfect people nor for perfect people. Then you have Rehoboam. This king is listed in verse 7. He's the son of King Solomon. And because of pride and lust of power, he was responsible for the dividing of the kingdom of Israel. And yet the Messiah comes through Rehoboam. Verse 9 mentions Ahaz. Ahaz was an ungodly king who worshipped pagan gods and eventually self-destructed. And it was to King Ahaz, listen to this, that Isaiah made his prophecy of the promised Emmanuel that would be born to a virgin. When he died, he was buried without honor. And yet Emmanuel traces his earthly family history back to Ahaz. Manasseh is mentioned in verse 10. He reigned for 55 years, longer than any other king. And yet he was Judah's most wicked king. He was into idolatry. He sacrificed his own son to the pagan god Molech. He worshipped the sun and the stars and killed anyone who disagreed with him. 2 Kings 21.9 gives a sad summary of his life. Listen to these words. Manasseh led them astray so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. 
Thankfully, after being deported to Babylon, he humbled himself and he returned to the Lord. Amazing. The Messiah came from people that most of us would want nothing to do with. And yet these individuals who we call failures are included in Jesus' family tree. Not for what they have in common with Christ, but for what we share in common with them. We are like them in so many ways, aren't we? But isn't that why Christ came? Jesus can take our failures, and he can turn them into something fruitful, which brings us to number three. God includes the forgotten in the genealogy of Jesus. God includes faithful people with flaws. He includes those who feel like failures, and he never forgets those who fear that they are forgotten. If you look again at this list, there are some names here that we know nothing about. What about Hezron and Ram? Abuid, Azar, Achim. How about Zaduk? Never heard of these people. We may not know of them, but let me tell you, they are known by God. Do you ever feel forgotten? Do you ever get up in the morning and you just have that feeling in your heart? Man, does anybody care? Does anybody know me? Do you wonder if God ever notices you? Listen, don't despair. You are never out of his mind. In fact, Psalm 139, 17 through 18 says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. So God takes what feeble faith we may have, coupled with our failures, and he redeems them for his glory. And in the process, he never forgets us. And so while I'm grateful that God includes the faithful, the failures, and even the forgotten in Jesus' family tree, it's got to make you wonder, why? Why would God include people like this? Why would God include these types of people in the genealogy of Jesus? I mean, after all, this is one crooked family tree. And yet this is the family tree through which the Son of God stepped into the pages of human history. So why would God include these types of people? Well, I think there are three possible answers to this question. First of all, God did it to send a message to self-righteous people. Think about this with me for a moment. The book of Matthew here, the Gospel of Matthew, is written especially for the Jewish people. And many of their leaders, we would know them as Pharisees, as the scribes, they were very self-righteous. So much so they were judgmental toward others. They thought they deserved to be included in the kingdom of God that Jesus the King was ushering in. They thought they deserved it by right and by their self-righteousness. What a shock then for them to read this genealogy and find that it's filled with liars, murderers, thieves, adulterers, and harlots. Not a pretty picture. Not a clean family tree. The list of people in Jesus' family tree here is a stinging rebuke to that kind of judgmental self-righteousness. Do you know what this means? Jesus was born into a sinful family. 
In fact, he came from a long line of sinners. And you say, well, why? Why is that? Why would God do that? Well, notice number two, God did it so that his grace might be richly displayed. If you come from a family like this, you can't exactly boast of your heritage. Oh, yeah, sure, your ancestors were kings, rulers, but they were great sinners. And when you read the people's names in Jesus' family tree, you aren't supposed to focus on the sin, but rather God did it this way so that we would focus on his grace. As one Bible scholar writes, God's grace in Jesus the Messiah reaches beyond Israel to Gentiles, beyond men to women, beyond the self-righteous to sinners. In saving his people from their sins, Jesus is not bound by race, gender, or scandal. And so when you look at this list of names, the real hero here is God himself. God's grace shines through the blackest of human sin as he chooses flawed men and women and places them in Jesus' family tree. Praise God that he delights in saving immoral, sinful people by his sovereign grace. Third reason why God did it this way is so we would focus ultimately on the person and work of Jesus Christ. This is why, again, Matthew begins with who in verse 1? Jesus Christ. Go back to verse 1. Look what it says. The book of the genealogy of who? Jesus Christ. And the first thing Matthew wants us to know here is that Jesus is the Savior. He's the Messiah. He's the King who has come. The name Jesus means Yahweh. Yahweh saves. And Christ means Messiah or anointed one. And it points to Jesus as God's anointed Savior and King. And we'll see next Sunday that God's promise to Joseph about Mary in Matthew 1.21 that she will bring forth a child or a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now, this is good news indeed. In fact, here's the good news from Jesus' family tree. No matter who you are this morning, no matter what you have done in the past, Jesus came to save you from your sins. That's good news. Any sinners here today? Any liars? Any cheaters? Any thieves? Any hypocrites? Any adulterers, prostitutes, or murderers? Listen, the good news is no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus can save you. If a prostitute can be saved, you can be saved. If a murderer can be transformed, you can be transformed. If an adulterer can be saved, then there is hope for all of us here this morning. No matter what your past looks like, no matter what your present feels like, no matter where you've been or what you've done, God can give you a fresh start. That's the reason we celebrate Christmas. Jesus came to save us from our sins. So the most important question we can answer today is this. Are you included in Jesus' family tree? You, yourself. Are you included in that tree? If not, listen, you can get in today by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. No matter if you've been fairly faithful 
Or if you find yourself a failure or feel forgotten, there's a place for you in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, his family tree. Jesus is the Savior of the world. So the ultimate question comes down, will you repent of sin, of your sin, and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior? You can get in Jesus' family tree by receiving his gift of redemption. Listen to the words of John 1.12, But as many as received him, that is Jesus, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name. Think of it this way. Jesus died on a tree in order for you to have a place in his eternal tree. Amazing. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and we thank you that the king has come. And we thank you for this list of names here in the book of Matthew to show us your grace over and over and over again, that your grace is greater than our sin, and that through the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross and his resurrection, when we repent of our sin and put our faith in him, man, we can be included in this family tree. We are adopted as sons and daughters in God's family. We are redeemed. And we are reconciled to you as our Father. And so, Lord, we give thanks for this. We praise you for the coming of Jesus and the history that we learn here. For it's only by your grace. As the praise team sings, and let me encourage you, one way to respond to this is simply to give thanks. To, to praise God right now in prayer for your salvation, for the grace that God has shown you. And that as a Christ follower, as a child or son, a daughter of Jesus Christ, you are included by grace through your faith. And perhaps you're here and you're not included. Listen, you can be included. You can get in now. All you have to do is cry out to God. Repent of your sin and ask Him to save you and for Jesus to be your Savior. Will you do that this morning as the praise team sings?